it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Crymalt, this is Beer as a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. This week, we start a series that is very close to the hearts of us here at Brews News. Last year and through January, the country experienced catastrophic fires. The response from both here and abroad has been and continues to be incredibly generous. However, the impact on the communities involved is often hidden, especially in areas not directly damaged by flames, but were still very affected by the fires. It's a natural response once the urgency of the emergency passes for us all to move on, especially when we have seen such generosity as these fires have inspired. However, the recovery for these regions will be long and slow. In late January, we visited the Victorian High Country and spoke to a number of the brewers that make up the High Country Brewery Trail. During our trip, we didn't see a single singed tree, but we did hear about the devastation that the fires wrought. Just as an example, the town of Bright, which usually has a population of 2,500, would normally swell to 30,000 people during the period that the town was shut by fires. They would be filling its hotels, motels, B&Bs and camping grounds, eating and drinking in its bars, breweries and restaurants, and spending in its shops. With the loss of that trade, it was a significant part of the business's annual turnover. The loss of that cash flow will be felt throughout the year. We heard stories of planned renovations or extensions that had been put on hold, leading to loss of work down the track for tradespeople. Casuals have moved on to where there is more work, and there are many other unexpected and hidden impacts for these communities. While we visited the Victorian high country, the same is true for all of the fire-affected regions. One of the things that we can all do to help in addition to making a donation to a fire charity or drinking a resilience beer, is to get out and spend with them and fill an empty esky. Not only will the money you spend flow through the communities, they will genuinely appreciate your visit and your patronage. The chats you will hear over the next few weeks won't be labouring the fires. They will be like any other beer as a conversation, learning the stories of the breweries and the people involved. But hopefully it will whet your appetite to visit the breweries as well as the wineries, cheese shops, bakeries and all of the other businesses and maybe to plan a weekend away, a mini break, midweek or your Easter holidays in any of the regions. And first up, we visit Brianna and Nathan Munt at King River Brewing. It's a great story that will resonate with homebrewers dreaming of turning pro in a beautiful part of the world or anyone that loves a story of a couple of people having a real go in the brewing industry. And I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Nathan and Brianna Munt, uh, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks thank for having us. And, and thank you very much to ha- for having us at uh, King River Brewing, um, which is in the beautiful King Valley, uh, part of the High Country Brewing Trail. And I guess the story of the King River Brewing starts well before 
stainless steel went in because you grew up in, in this part of the world, Brianna. Yeah, I did. I did. I've been calling um, King Valley home my, my entire life, although I had a, um, yeah, a, short, a small hiatus, I would say, in Melbourne. I was there for 10 years and um, that's where Nathan and I met um, and that's where his passion for beer started. But um, we, yeah. How about just, your passion for beer, though? Uh, my passion for beer started <laughs> as soon as I was legal to drink it. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Nathan helped to, I guess, yeah, increase that passion just with uh, he started home brewing, obviously, and um, I got involved helping out with the brew and everything. But, yeah, King Valley, this is my family's property here. So um, when we decided to um, go big, we decided to go home come home and do it here so yeah but but tell us so uh, because it, it was a tobacco um property a growing property i understand yeah this uh, my father when he bought this property um he started next door with his brother and his um, father's business and uh, they share farmed here for uh, a good 15 20 years together um, with my uncle and yeah this where our brewery is situated here now is one of the original tobacco kilns on the property and where the brewery, um, the production facility is just next door here is um, where we used to kiln the tobacco, grade the tobacco, um, get it ready for the sales. Yep. So w- when did your family move here? In uh, So I, I speak to Wally a lot. I love history, so I, <laughs> I, I tend to talk a lot about it. But um, Wally's father actually moved over in the 1930s so um, as Mussolini was taking power in Italy, um, the northern Italians, I believe, were actually quite, um, they were a little bit oppressed. Like they weren't um, with Mussolini and they also weren't with Germany. Uh, and a lot of them uh, left. There was a, a fair amount of persecution. Wally, Brianna's uh, father, his dad, uh, had a sponsor in Australia to come and work out here on a share farm. Uh, and I think it was like 1935. So, you know, it was sort of um, pre-World War II, but it was about to happen. They started in Myrtleford initially and they moved over to the King Valley, I think, in 1950, early 1950, um, and have been here ever since. And that was basically that farm over there. Um, and this farm was purchased off uh, another family and sort of joined. That's where the share farming uh, with uh, Uncle Dario happened, I think, in the 70s, like mid-70s. Yeah, um, yeah, and that, that's kind of the migration. But yeah, so uh, Italian heritage, this whole valley is full of amazing stories of um, a lot of northern Italian, but also um, all across uh, Italy and also Czechoslovakian and um, Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. A lot of um, uh, uh, sort of post-war and, and pre-World War II um, immigration um, that just lends itself to an amazing European sort of feel for this whole valley. So tell us a little bit about the the, the King Valley. If, if Brianna grew up here, um, what what do you remember? What sort of industries were here? You obviously had tobacco, um, which is a is an industry that's been phased out now. And uh, we, we, as you drive through, you see a lot of grapes. You see a lot of uh, BNBs. What's what, what's the prime industry of, of the area? Prime industry um, these days is um, a lot of wine, um, a lot of dairy crops, hay, that sort of thing. Um, But before my years, my mother used to pick hops. So this was actually a very big hop region. Obviously, we've got HPA just over the hill in Yerobin and there is also Ellerslie just over the other hill in Myrie. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly for me. I've always thought it was Yerobin. Oh, Oh, very good. Yeah, Yerobin. Yerobin, Um, okay. Depends on how you... A lot of towns that nobody knows how to pronounce (laughs) around here. Moihu. And and Ellerslie over in Myrie just there. So this... 
all through the King Valley, there was a lot of hops prior to tobacco or almost the same era as tobacco, um, but that was phased out with, I guess, the bigger companies sort of getting... Um, the market went more to just um, hops were for bittering, you know, so the, the, um, the big breweries, like we'll see you be basically, was just all about getting alpha acid. So the crops went from being um, diverse to being quite small. I think we're talking Pride of Ringwood, Super Pride, and Cluster. Price based, all of those. Sorts yeah, that, of things, that sort yeah. of thing. And um, there wasn't, there wasn't, a, um, there was no other small breweries around, so nobody was really paying premium for uh, interesting hops. So as a result, that got condensed. Is is our understanding? We know a hop farmer um, in Carbor, which is where the last fires got really close to, uh, twenty metres away from getting him. Actually, I spoke to him yesterday. Uh, he's been growing f- uh, for quite a while. He's been growing for HPA. Uh, now for several decades Um, and he's a a second generation himself Uh, and he said it was quite interesting um, uh, during that time growing for the alpha acid he grows purely topaz now which is for that alpha acid content as well Um, it is also a good aroma hop but uh, and he said how amazing it is how big the hop industry is becoming now because of craft breweries and he's very excited as a hop farmer Mm. and he's been through that whole sort of gamut yeah and it's fascinating to hear those stories and I think as beer lovers, um, we sit down and think the industry is about beer and it's about breweries, but there are all of these industries uh, that hang off the, the side of brewing. And the choices that we make as beer drinkers flow on downstream to a whole lot of other areas. Um, and Pete and I became very aware of that when we were in uh, Yakima last year and you see these hop growers who basically, you know, people like Yakima Chief suddenly um, are internationally renowned when 15 years ago the farms were up for sale because there just was no market for yeah. it. Yeah. What a, change. Mm. what a change. So tell us, Brianna, did you go to school around here and leave to go to university? Um, yeah, precisely. Yeah, so I was here until I was 18. I um, did a, a straight after high school, I did a vintage over at um, Gapstead Wines, which is one of, was at the time the, the big processing plant for um, grapes and wine in the area and so I did a vintage there I worked in the lab um, so that's coming quite handy um, in the brewery because I I find it quite interesting work as well um, doing all the testing and pH and all of that sort of thing. And what did you uh, go off to study? I actually went off to study event management and project management. And and, and what was the plan when, when you did that? Was the plan to come back to the family farm? Um, (laughs) Yeah, to start off with, I did not have plans to move back to King Valley. But um, yeah, look, I enjoyed Melbourne life. I was studying there. um, It was fast paced work. The event work was, you know, incredibly, um, you know, fulfilling and fun and um, just the huge events that happen in major cities. So I was involved in um, quite a lot down there. But um, yeah. It's just, it's great to be home. We, we absolutely love it here. So. Yeah, well, the, the decision to, to come home, I was using my garage as a microbrewery almost. What, what's your background, Nathan, before oh, we... Uh, my did, my just... background's very boring, Matt. It's, um, it's not even worthy of talking. I was, based, I was in IT. Oh, I still am, am in IT. We wouldn't have a brewing industry if we didn't have an IT industry. Yeah. I'm quite convinced <laughs> yeah. about that. There are so many refugees from it. There are, you're right. You're right. I know a few of them. Um... Uh, yeah, so my, that's really my background. Uh, so born in Papua New Guinea, was only there for a few months, so got no recollection of it, but I love saying it. Uh, down to Sydney for a few years, then Melbourne. So I'm pretty much a Melbourne boy. Um, uh, grew up in Doncaster, 
then in Paran, and then yeah, finished school, went straight into uh, working as um, as an IT sort of professional. And you guys met at uni or post? Uh, no, no. So Brianna, bless her, cotton socks is um, quite a bit younger than me. So she's got uh, seven, seven years under me. Uh, I met her while she was still at uni, um, but I was working uh, full time being a, a database engineer uh, in, oh, geez, this will test me, 2005, 2006? Yeah. Um, so... That was uh, basically friends that used to frequent a particular estab- establishment in, in Brunswick was where um, they used to hang out and that was, that was the, the meeting of minds. And then it was pretty quick that we, um, yeah, we, we sort of shacked up together and it's, um, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were a home brewer at, the, at, at that stage? Yeah, so when did I first home brew? I, I didn't first home brew probably until about 2008, 2008. Um, so I, I love wine and food and like anything that's bad for you that tastes good, I'm all over it. And uh, bad for you in, moder- in, if in moderation. In moderation, yeah, if you're part, not in moderation. So my, my friend uh, um, uh, Danny would say, uh, Nathan, remember what the Spartan said? Pan metron ariston. Everything in moderation is fine. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I live by that rule now, or I try to anyway. I basically got given a, a homebrew kit from Brianna's sister's partner, and I gave it a try and made a really crap beer. I've, I've found this beer actually. We all did. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and and I think that's um, uh, a certain amount of persistence and OCD, not wanting to let go. Um, but I try. I tried this beer at uh, Cookie Bar in Melbourne. Uh, I love Belgian beers. Okay, so all the finer things. So Belgian beers is one of those things that you could get pre, you know, two thousand ish. Um, that was interesting and great and beautiful and oh geez I had a passion for, for those beers and I had this beer I thought about beers like wine like terroir which is obviously also as an interesting side topic something that we're really trying to get hold of um, now in the beer world about a, a sense of identity of place in beer and, and um, certainly spontaneous ferment um, uh, local ingredients etc is a really exciting part uh, of brewing that I'd, I, I really follow uh, and anyway I had this beer and it was um, a uni brewery terrible uh, which is a Belgian dark strong, I think, and uh, delicious. Yeah, which is from Canada. Which is surprisingly so yeah, Canadian is, inspired. So this is uh, what happened. Belgian inspired Canadian. So brewery, this is yeah. what happened. I had this beer, and I'm like, this is probably the best Belgian beer we've ever had. Thinking beer can only be brewed where terroir, right? And uh, I had a look on the label, and I saw it was from Canada, and it totally flipped my lid. I'm like, how is this possible? You can brew this type of beer. So then I started researching um, uh, more about the actual process of brewing. And that's what got me into it. So there was a kit there and uh, gave it a crack, brewed a terrible beer, uh, got a friend around, brewed another terrible beer, went, this can't be all my fault. Uh, bought three pots of burner, um, heat exchanger, etc. went all grain like very, very quickly. And that was a, um, yeah, that was 2008. It took me two months, I think, to go from two bad beers to brewing uh, Weizenbock that was just delicious uh, from all grain. And yeah, that was pretty much the story. And then I, then I just got incredibly passionate about making stuff you know and i think i think that's the um maybe the thing that takes you to that next level is it's more exciting making it than it is even drinking it you know and that's probably what makes me a brewer rather than just a no nah, see so i'm still a beer drinker yeah yeah, yeah yeah but i'm happy to make for you Matt. But, but let's talk a little bit about that for a second i, I, I made a joke before that we wouldn't have a home you know, brewing industry if we didn't have an it industry because there have been so many you know whether it's computer engineers or programmers um, but even in- in- engineers. And what, what is it, do you think, that I'm an art student, yep. 
I'm a journalist, sort of love ideas and things like that. Yep. But um, a- as a cook, I'll follow the recipe once yep. and then just do it from memory after that. And over the course of 10 iterations, you know, spaghetti, carb- you know, spaghetti carbonara becomes beef version on because yeah, you yeah, just keep yeah. changing one, in- yeah. one ingredient. But you can't do that when you're, when you're a brewer. You need to be precise. You need to repeat. You need yeah. to follow procedure. So what is it about your background and... and yeah, I believe it's the it's the analytical uh, aspect of it all, and um, wanting to get things perfect all the time. So, uh, as much as the most fun is creating new beers, like I, I wish we could create a new beer every single time, um, it's also an amazing sense of achievement to really uh, nail a beer and get it right consistently. And that requires a lot of effort, science, um, control. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, it's that analytical aspect, I think that you get as an IT person uh, that probably really works well in the brewing industry because you just need that that particular OCD to make sure that it's correct. So at what point did you go from being a really enthusiastic home brewer who loved the process to thinking, hey, this is something that I want to make a living out of? Uh, probably. And was it a decision you made or a decision you made together? We hadn't even really made a decision on it. It was, I think, Brianna knew straight away that I had a problem. Um, <laughs> Sorry, just, uh, just. I think I knew Nathan wanted to be a professional brewer about two years in when we're there winching up grain, soaking grain bags, and I'm there at two o'clock in the morning on a school night <laughs> bottling a hundred litres of Weizenbock or whatever it was that was the latest beer. And especially probably one of our first Muntoberfests where we had 12 styles of beer from that year. So every month he made a new beer and we had 12 kegs of beer on tap for so, our friends. So, so, so in this our was as a home brewer. So you had yeah. Muntoberfest yeah. with your beers as a home brewer. Yeah, okay. That's right. So, well, first of all, I was proud of what I was creating and I thought that people would like it. And also, I liked, I liked exposing people to um, new things. So, um, before that, it was wine. Like I, I was trying to um, uh, train my friends on different styles of wine instead of I just want red and it's got to be big and it's got to be, you know, alcoholic. I was like, well, you know, certain different types of wine work better with different foods. And what, like that was, that was a, uh, something that I'd done years before the brewing even happened. And then the festivals that we put on, uh, not really festivals, only like 100 people or whatever, the fe- what we put on was really um, so that I could see and trial on people these new beer styles and also have them i don't know broaden their horizons a little bit on beer can be all these other things it doesn't have to be you know we were still all drinking carlton draft um back then and i thought that was a sad state of affairs we didn't need to i knew that they got into the wine when i did that one well let's try to see if we can get them into different styles of beers or at least know that there's different styles of beer out there so who first voiced the idea of opening a brewery Brianna said that she realised first. I realised that Nathan wanted to do it as a living, but I think um, building our own business as opposed to him brewing for someone else, um, certainly Nathan's idea, I would say, but I was completely on board straight away because I've come from an entrepreneurial family. It's in my blood to work for yourself. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I was completely on board and, and... as soon as we voiced it, I think we started thinking about here and uh, my late mother was already seeing if Nathan could pop up a tent and sell his beer and we're like, we don't know what it what's required to actually license yourself as a commercial brewing 
company. She wanted him to be pouring commercial beer within a month um, <laughs> at one stage. So, yeah, it's – yeah. His idea, but we're all on board and we've got both of our families supporting us and helping us out on busy weekends and giving us business advice and, you know, we're, we're all pretty involved in it. So it's great. Tell us the story from when you went from saying, well, let's do a brewery. Was it always going to be on yeah. the family property? To take a step back there, we had spoken with Brown as well about putting something together because the, the passion was there to try to explore whether we could do more um, – with beer like like a brewery but we were talking about bringing my 200 litre pots up possibly and just getting started uh kind of small and we had those discussions but they didn't really go anywhere so nothing was really happening and then brianna's mother passed away really um unexpectedly and um it really made it shocked everyone like it shocked the whole community we had 1100 people here at the funeral and it was just one of those things where hang on that shouldn't have happened and it made us really assess what we really wanted you know and i um uh, the discussions then turn into, well, if we brought 200 litre pots up here, what is the reality of that? All right, crunch the numbers. Well, that's not a business. You can't make a business um, for beer, uh, particularly in a location that only has a couple of months worth of tourism. Um, you need to go wholesale. Uh, so what does that look like? All right, so we basically put all the money together that we'd been saving for a house. Uh, got the biggest system we could get, which is the 10 heck system in there. And... Uh, we looked at that and said, well, I think that's what we've got to do. And I think it was a, it was a fairly emotional choice at the time. But it was also, I think, such a, a breaking out of the mundane life, even like realising that we could actually do something that would be more important to us than just trudging along and making money um, and putting back into the community. Like, there's a little bit of all of this that we're doing um, for Brianna's mum and Brianna's dad. Like, we really feel like that's part of this story. Um, and we're so proud when we opened, like we really felt like we've, we've, re, we've reinvigorated the place that was uh, starting to go fallow, like the memory was getting lost of how beautiful this person was. And that was the initial uh, sense. Now we've, we've come a lot further than that where we're, we're uh, so focused on what we're doing as a business and um, uh, what we can provide. Um, but that was, that was really it. It was, a, it was pretty much a, um, a life-changing emotional experience that made us go... If we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. And um, so that was the discussion. Maybe that's exactly what I said to Brianna and um, that's why we're here maybe because the, the passion was uh, really there um, with the beer as well as with, you know, the, the life change. And, yeah, and then, well, here we are. What a ride, really. It, it's still a big choice to go from, to, to have that realisation, have that life experience and then suddenly open a, a brewery. And there's even a, coming from an entrepreneurial background, there's a whole lot of skills involved in running a particular... There's, there's, there's a commercial reality to it as well. Mm. It's, it's, um, the decision to do it um, meant that some of that commercial reality was um, a little bit ignored, but not really. So here we are in the beautiful King Valley, surrounded by wineries with not a single brewery in Kuwait. Um, there's a lot of uh, great food and wine buffs that come through here. And it seemed to be like a really big missing gap to have a brewery here. So to me, that made a lot of business sense um, to have it here. The space was already here. Wally had built um, this beautiful old tobacco kiln into a pizza oven restaurant um, that Brown's mum had been uh, running prior um, to us being here. And the space was right. The location was right. Uh, and it just I thought the only thing that was really required was to make really good beer mixing good beer and um you've got a you've got a good recipe so that was the that was the the finances behind it i mean i've been working corporate 
for most of my life, like all of my working life. I have a bit of uh, business now, so I've also gone and been educated in business management. Brown has run events and large events before, so we felt like together we had the combined skills to make a commercial business work. I think it's already a lot bigger than we thought it would be when we started, but I think I think we're pretty on top of it. As we you know approach 700 breweries nationally, but as, you know, as we do get that level of density um, in the inner city areas and fighting for shelf space you guys are here obviously tourism is a big part of your your business model um you know how how far afield do you want to sell your beer and secondly you know are you finding the same sort of issue that the breweries that want that market space the tap space in the cities are having to shape their offer to an audience or do people come here for your beers or are you having to provide beers to the palates of the people who come yeah I, I think first of all the the space that we really want to be involved in is um northeast victoria melbourne sydney that's um or and canberra sorry so they're the only markets that we're really currently looking at uh, melbourne shelf space i wouldn't even try like so we get in when we create special beers we have um uh, venues that pick us up and we really love that but realistically we're a pretty small brewery 10 hectares doesn't produce a lot of beer um, over the course of a year. We've only got three tanks at the moment. We're trying to... With a part-time brewer. Yeah, well, there's that too, but I mean... Um... Sorry, Brianna just said with a part-time brewer. Yeah. I should say, Nathan, that you aren't full-time involved in the business. You still have a full-time job outside of the business. Brianna, you're full-time involved... To, to an extent, yeah, I am. W- with running a family and yeah. things like that. That's right. So um, my involvement in the, in the business is the wholesale side of things, you know, trying to keep up with the marketing and PR that's required um, for a beer business and um, the hospitality operations and event management as well. So Yeah, and I still work full-time uh, in Melbourne, but I've got a really good employer uh, presently who lets me work one week remotely from up here in King Valley. Um, so that means I can put beer down and still check it, um, like in the morning or evenings, uh, get that going. We have an employee now who's in there washing out my brew house for me, which is very lovely, <laughs> who can do certain things like get packaging done, particularly keg packaging uh, and you know washing and that sort of thing. So we actually can get the ball rolling pretty well, even around my work. Didn't have that initially. That was really, really tough. Um, that's made a big difference. But yeah, look, more breweries, um, more products, more competition. Uh, sh- it should be pretty good for the consumer, really. It does make it harder to get into places. Somebody's already in there. There's only a certain amount of shelf space. You can't just um, uh, edge your way in. I've noticed already in the three years that we've been running uh, how much harder it's become. I think what's really important to us now is uh, what, what I think is our best opportunity is our location, our story, um, uh, our identity through our beers and our direct marketing to consumers is the most important thing. Getting into Dan's isn't as important. It's a volume thing for sure. But our our ability to gain more customers is about them enjoying what we do and understanding who we are and us being from the King Valley. We're not another brewery in Melbourne, for example. So when people swing by, are they coming here on their way through or are they coming here as a destination? And and what are they drinking? And is there different any difference between different groups and what they drink absolutely i I think it's very very important breweries are uh, have always been throughout time uh pretty much synonymous with the location that they're that they're in all right 
ancient Egypt, the brew was always next to the bakery. It was a staple food. Then you go into England and the brew, the pub on the corner that made its own beer in the cast. That was where the locals went. That you know, you make beer for who your consumers are. Number one, I think. So if you forget your local audience, then you're going to not have a business. You know, um, who's going to come and have a beer in the middle of winter when you can't even get up the road because it's flooded or something like that? Well, your locals are going to support you. So we make a lot of beers that I believe would work really really well with the local population um our colch for example that do work really really well with the local population in fact they took the alt beer off at, um at one of the local pubs uh, at one point and there was an uproar and people stopped going to the pub <laughs> until the alt beer was back on so that was um that was an amazing any shop. reason given for why they took the alt oh, beer i'm not allowed off? to talk about this oh, okay. i'm not allowed to talk about this um but has it, it got anything to do with the independent seal that's sort of a proudly no okay no um it might do. Someone that might own CUB soon might have got in there and, um, and uh, there was less tap space and a decision had to be made about what to lose and the manager may have made the wrong choice. Well, hey, I've got to be careful what I say. I really, but look, that's what happened. It Just got hypothetically off, speaking. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> 100% hypothetically speaking. Anyway, that got back on tap pretty quickly, which is good because between me and the local population, we don't really sell alt beer anywhere else. And it's one of my favourites. So it was really good to keep it going. Otherwise, I might have um, had to stop making it. So, yeah, the, fo- the focus really is what's important to the locals because that really identifies you in a geography, in a, in a demographic. That's us. You know, that, it, that becomes part of our story. The people that are here, as crazy as some of them are, they're our people, like they're our brewery. That's what makes us up. So outside of that also is the crazy things that you want to do as well and, and to experiment on people. Uh, so we try to mix it up. We have what we call a core range, uh, which is Kolsch Alt. Our red IPA has become a core range because we just keep selling out of it. I was never going to brew an IPA because I didn't want to enter that sort of um, fisticuff market. I thought everyone makes really great IPAs. Why would I bother? But it's the thing that just keeps walking out the door. And then we do more eclectic stuff. I really love uh, what I call European style beers. You so, still love your Belgians. Yeah, so I love my Belgians. And there's going to be a big focus this year on um, uh, more Belgians but also along with that is a really good balanced beer so uh, this year we uh, brought out two different Doppelbox um, we had our first Montoberfest festival here as a, for a commercial one and I made uh, a Martzen uh, I made a Maybach uh, I made um, the Hefeweizen we do every year in summer so that's available at the moment I made a Schwarzbier that we obviously used the parody of Helmet from um, uh, Spaceballs and uh, oh, and a, well, I made a Pilsner, so a Czech Pilsner called Pivo beer, um, because that's what it, it's just a drinking beer, uh, and th- that's the kind of styles that I love love to do. Like with my own little twist in them, obviously the Maybach was a little bit darker, a little bit sweeter. It was more like treacle. It was probably I called it like a mini barley wine. It was that sort of sweet, but yeah, that is my focus, I guess. So that's that's the thing that I'm doing outside of the core range is uh, to create these European style ales, as long uh, along with our triple, which is our flagship beer. We'll be making more of those this year and i want to start barrel aging at some point so what's next for king river brewing obviously you want to gradually and hopefully your employer's not hearing this although i guess he'd probably imagine but you want to gradually transition out of full-time employment to being full-time employed here yeah so i mean that that'd be the goal everything i'm pretty pragmatic and which i have to say sounds like you'll be going from two and a half jobs just down to one and a half job yeah yeah, it, it, there, it, there is. It's impossible to explain to people. First of all, I mean, running a small business is not an easy thing. Um, so you've got that coupled with the fact that you're manufacturing um, a fast-moving consumer good, um, coupled with 
all the other things around that marketing. Uh, obviously, the tap room is its own business as well. So you put that in there. Obviously, Brianna looks after most, uh, looks after all of that. Um, there's quite a bit on the go. So yeah, the, it, the idea was this year that we would get to a point where we could make that decision. Either bring in a brewer or bring in um, an additional employee so I could figure out what I wanted to do on the full-time work front. Um, uh, but realistically, hopefully, we could uh, pay me a wage. So we're not earning wages at, uh, at this point in time, uh, from the brewery, that is, um, to pay me a wage so that I could, I could focus uh, on the brewery. We need more tanks to be able to do that. Uh, so the goal was in March we'd be buying three more tanks um, to increase our volume significantly to about 250,000 litres a year from 50. But we got wiped out of the, uh, our most lucrative time with the bushfires. As a result, we're having to recheck what we do with that. So the reality is it might be another year that I need to work full-time uh, just to keep it going because we need, we need the money to be able to buy the tanks to, to, for that capital uh, to be able to produce enough beer to make it worthwhile for wholesale. We wanted this podcast to be about King River Brewing, not about the bushfires. Sorry. But obviously, oh no, no, no. Sorry, I, I, that was just by way of explanation. But Brianna was saying something interesting before that there has been a period where you've been closed for two weeks, and whilst that's had an impact on your business um, in terms of trade at your busiest time, that washes through the entire community, Brianna. Absolutely. I mean, not only ourselves here, but. A lot of the hospitality, food and beverage businesses in the area use local produce. So that flow-on effect goes to those producers. Cheese, smoked meats, you know, uh, fresh vegetables, eggs, pork, you name it. It's all local and they're suffering because our region, the Bright region, everyone that did have to evacuate, those hospitality businesses aren't purchasing those fresh products they're not generating their own revenue and they're they're maybe outside the impacted area but then that flows on and how far does that stretch from their um, cash flow we had to cancel musicians you know I just thought I was cancelling one gig but then they come back to me and say oh we completely understand but you know we've lost a month's worth of work from this because it's not just you it's the other breweries and bars in, That's in the right. area all in the that same position they're positions. all playing at every you know friday saturday and sunday so the flow on like when i made that call to a couple of musicians and realized that the impact is just so much more than our business it's it's the businesses that are outside of the region um, that come here to service us or provide us goods and services and you know it's huge how long do you think that'll last three months yeah obviously at this point in time because most of us have been so lucky to retain our property and our business i think it comes down to each individual business has a certain amount of financial need um, you know the the bigger the small business the more they would have suffered because the, the more of a gap there will be in their economy Getting people up here again and getting everything happening again, I agree with Brianna, I think will be three, three months before people are really confident um, uh, to come back in droves. We're really hoping that it'll be Easter time will be a really bumper time. It's a beautiful time up here and uh, everything should be um, super green and, and lush by then. But yeah, I, I, you know, I've been told some stories of some businesses that have had some amazing losses um, and you just wonder how they survive, really. Moving past... The, the immediate situation, you've got your tanks in. How, how big do you want to see King River grow 
Yeah, I don't think I want to grow any bigger than the new tanks. That to me is a pretty good size. It's a family business size. I don't mind growing bigger, but I mean, it's a totally different business model then. It is a, a, a shelf space fight. It's a, um, uh, a really uh, heavily productionized um, business. Something that, you know, I'll consider if we get to that point. I'll just be really happy to be able to fill the tanks and, and, and keep brewing. And, and to me, keeping it small means that we have agility. Um, that means that we can change it up all the time and be interesting uh, and, and exciting. Uh, rather than just developing uh, individual products that need to be, you know, produced on mass and, and sold quickly. So, to me, I'd, I'd I'd really hope that that's as big as King River Brewing gets, as long as it's um, sustainable. And the law of the world is that sometimes you have to get bigger as well, because if you don't, then you lose a market, and then if you lose that market, maybe you've lost what was keeping you going at the, at that level. So, I'm. Uh, once again, pragmatic about that. We'll see what, see what happens. I mean, that'd be great, right? If we had to go to that level. But my real goal would be to um, get to that that next stage, and just operate on that. Increase the um, uh, the efficiency and the and the and the the beauty and the perfection of the beer at that level, and keep that going rather than trying to get bigger. How much do you guys see yourselves as a brewing business, and how much do you see yourself as a hospitality and a tourism and an events business, for example? Presently, I see our, uh, ourselves as a probably 70% uh, tourism events and 30% wholesale, but I really want to flip that around. Uh, I see ourselves in the future being 70% and 30% um, and doing a lot more in this space as well from a, from a tourism perspective, but it being the home base for people to visit rather than the best place to get the beer. Terrific. Well, guys, congratulations on King River Brewing. Thank you very much for hosting us. I, thanks, I just thanks for coming. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I've driven to Beechworth before. I've been to Bright before, but always gone up the main road and never been up through the Mansfield. Turn right. Uh, turn oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it, absolutely. It is one of the most beautiful drives that I remember in Australia. Um, and and they're in, in a country filled with beautiful drives. It was just astounding. So I was very lucky to be in the passenger seat for this one. And then suddenly you come to King River um, Brewing. So congratulations. And hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be able to recover very, very quickly. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Um, we're going to try our downers. That's for sure. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryo Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryo Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Brews News. This special series was also made possible with the assistance of Convoy Kegs, who assisted us to get to the high country so we could tell their stories, and we genuinely thank Convoy Kegs for their support. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. 